0: Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. But at the top, a seismic shift in sports policy announced by the International Olympic Committee on Tuesday, coming off perhaps the most inclusive Olympics ever. The IOC effectively changed their 17-year-old transgender inclusion policy for what was termed a new framework that centers around inclusion and organizational cooperation. In a press conference in Lausanne, Switzerland, IOC officials talked about an expansion of inclusion after consultations with more than 250 athletes, officials, and medical experts. Kaveh Murabi, director of the athletes department for the IOC, explained the changes that are coming.
1: We learned that uh, verifying the gender of athletes by testing or examination or carrying a physical or geological examination is invasive and disrespectful. This is the case for trans women, for women with sex variation, but also is true for cis uh, women. So instead of trying to confirm a woman is woman, we should focus on women's performance so we can reassure all women that all of them compete on the level playing field. The second point is that there is no consensus, as I mentioned earlier in the scientific community about the role of the testosterone. And and that's something that it should not be considered uh, as one factor alone. So instead of having one marker of performance for all sport, we need to broader understanding uh, of performance and tailor each sport uh, to the criteria that is relevant to them. And finally, uh, the policies that require women to modify their hormone levels or compete uh, to compete lead to a serious problem in their health. In their health. So again, instead of requiring unnecessarily and potentially harmful harmful treatment. We need to engage uh, from an angle and simply find ways to understand what is an unfair disadvantage and include all women on, uh, on that basis uh, without requiring extra unnecessary treatment. Starting in March
0: 2022, the IOC will replace the policies that have been instituted in 2003 and modified in 2015 with a new structure where the IOC would be providing guidance to individual sporting federations to set sport-specific regulations for eligibility. The fulcrum of this will be a 10-principle approach to decision-making, which will involve the protection of inclusion, staying in line with the fourth principle of Olympism, that sport is a human right, the prevention of harm, centering non-discrimination, fairness, no presumption of advantage, evidence-based regulation, primacy of health of the athletes, a stakeholder-centered approach to regulation and decisions, privacy of the athletes being paramount, and periodic review of all decisions. Along with this approach to decision-making came two more statements that showed a doctrinal shift in the IOC's thinking. The first statement was made by Katja Mascagni.
2: What the framework allows is for uh, the competition still to remain uh, uh, fair. Um, However, it's the process to reach that, which is substantially, I would say, different compared to um, how we were looking at it before. Um, Because we are still going, and Federation will still, you know, be uh, encouraged to restrict participation to keep meaningful playing field within the female category. But rather than looking at um, uh, defining who is a woman or who is not a woman, it will be actually looking at where there is a history of performance of an athlete who, has, who is competing in the female category, which is actually um, generating concerns in terms of a disproportionate advantage that she would have, for instance. and. Um, and then, therefore, then look into that to determine where there is uh, an unfair performance uh, for that athlete and, and, therefore, determine if that athlete would be entitled to compete or, or not. So it is really less about uh, looking at um, defining who, uh, who is a woman who is not a woman, because those who will have registered to compete will we'll do so in, uh, in, in accordance to their gender identity, but really then look into where there is disproportionate advantage, uh, which needs therefore to be, to be mitigated.
0: The second statement, which shows an even bigger change, came from Dr. Richard Budget, the IOC's medical and scientific director.
3: Testosterone was obviously key, and this is one of the things I think that the framework does, is move us on from just considering testosterone. Um, because obviously, it's perfectly clear now that performance is not proportional to your endogenous, your your inbuilt testosterone. Um, obviously, if you artificially give testosterone, then there'll be, a, 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 in many sports, an improvement in performance, and that's doping. Um, and in others, uh, if, you, if you artificially reduce testosterone, there may be a reduction in performance. Um, but what we're really interested in is the outcome. The pr- the, the, and, and what this does is changes the process to getting that outcome of performance. Um, so uh, uh, there was a lot of agreement uh, amongst many of us in sport that the 10 animals was probably the wrong level if you're looking at testosterone anyway. So many sports have moved on from that uh, and gone to different levels. And what we're saying now is you don't need to use testosterone at all. But this is, this is guidance. It's not an absolute rule. So we can't say that um, the, the, the framework in any particular sport, be it World Athletics or another, is actually wrong. They need to make it right for their sport. And this framework gives them a process by which they can do it, um, thinking about inclusion and then seeing what uh, produces disproportionate advantage.
0: That statement alone shows a clear break from the last 17 years of regulations for the IOC. And it was met with some reaction in a lot of corners. Canadian cyclist Kristen Worley, who sued the IOC over these issues, said, quote, The International Olympic Committee's framework on gender identity and sex variations is a significant step forward in sports recognition of human rights. This statement is a courageous and informed admission that previous consensus statements were not correct. The principles on which the framework is based provide the platform for readdressing past harms. Another statement came from Quint. Canadian soccer player, and the first trans and non-binary Olympic gold medalist in history. Quote, Far too often, sport policy does not reflect the lived experience of marginalized athletes. That's especially true when it comes to transgender athletes and athletes with sex variations. This new IOC framework is groundbreaking in the way that it reflects what we know to be true, that athletes like me and my peers participate in sports, without any inherent advantage and that our humanity deserves to be respected. Another statement came from Anne Lieberman, Director of Policy Programs at Athletes Alley. Quote, As with any set of guidelines, the success of this new framework in ensuring a safe and welcoming environment within the Olympic movement will largely depend on the education and implementation process with national governing bodies, international federations, and other key stakeholders. We hope to continue working closely with the IOC to ensure that the policies and practices governing sport actually include and represent the diversity of people playing sport. Now that is the statement that I can identify with because that statement also points to a major piece of this framework. This framework, as lofty and high-sounding as it is, is also non binding No international sporting federation that is part of the Olympic program is bound to implement any of this. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't, but at the same time, doesn't necessarily mean that they will either. The devil of a lot of this is in the details. And there are certain details to consider. The things that Kristen Worley spoke about. The past harm. And some of those harms are not past. They're present. Textbook example. Castor Semenya. The DSD regulations. The Castor Semenya rule. Namibian spender Christine Maboma. Those situations are harms that are continued. When asked about this case and how this framework will affect it, the IOC officials sidestep the question on a number of questions in regards to how to get international federations on board to actually implement these changes and what those processes will be the IOC in the press conference did not give clear answers yes they said the right things the framework sounds good in theory but now it's not a theory now it has to go into practice as we head into 2022 and 2023 and the world cups and the diamond leagues and the world championships and the qualifications for the Summer Olympics in Paris in 2024. Now those details start coming out. They start stepping to the fore. And that is a significant question. How will this all work? Can the IOC just have a role of providing guidance? Will the governing bodies. Will the governing bodies implement these principles of decision-making uncompelled? Remember, all this is non-binding. Now there are some who say that this is a walk-back at the same time. Many of those who've always been opposed to inclusion in this manner are saying that the rules are being taken away, and they're being stripped away. No, they aren't. The rules aren't necessarily being stripped away at all. In many ways, this is a good start. This framework is a template. The finished product has yet to be seen. For those of us who compete in sports, cover sports, and watch sports, may we live in interesting times. Now, we have a shout-out, and we have three stars. First, the shout-out to Mara Gomez, first out trans woman to play in Argentina's top women's soccer division, and now, she's a Nike athlete. She is a part- of the Nike Play New campaign, the commercial dropped this week, and she's the third trans woman in sports to be in a television ad this year. She joins Brazilian pro volleyballer Tiffany Abreu and track athlete CeCe Tilfer, Mara and Nike, looking good, looking good. And now we have three stars because all of these shout outs come from the world of hockey. Our first star, Team Trans Hockey. After two years, Team Trans is back. They're gonna be in Madison, Wisconsin on November 20th and 21st, and they're gonna be playing a six-game series because Team Trans in two years got bigger. They have over 40 players, over three teams, they're taking on a group of select squads from the Madison Gay Hockey Association. And there's gonna be some great hockey. If you're in the Madison area, go to the games. On Saturday, November 20th, first game starts with the Novice Squad. Puck drops at 1.30 after that. The intermediate squad and then the advanced squad play. So be there. And on Sunday, they got another triple header starting at 10 a.m. with the novice squads. Team Trans Hockey, welcome back. Oh, by the way, if you're selling those jerseys, I want one. Our second star is from Mason LaFabe. goalie for Team Trans. And Mason, along with teammate Avery Cordingly, were beamed up to the transporter room back in October. Also, LeFave played in that inaugural series in Boston two years ago. And they wrote about the experience in Outsports this week. Check it out. It was a good read. And again, if you're in Madison, Wisconsin, if you're in the state of Wisconsin, want to see some good hockey, be there. Capital Ice Arena, November 20th and 21st. And our third star, and to me, a very bright star because I'm a huge fan, author Sophie LaBelle, the Creative mind behind the assigned male comic series. And now featured novelist has announced her next project. And she's collaborating with Finnish illustrator RV Tommy for a children's sports book talking about inclusivity, belonging, teen spirit, the stirring story called The Wolf Pack. And since you have a Finn and a French Canadian doing this you know what sport it's about. Yes, it's about hockey. And one thing I do know is the protagonist is a trans girl with some serious game. They, they really wanna break some ground with this children's book and they got a Kickstarter for it. And one thing, being a fan of Sophia LaBelle, I know that this thing's gonna be fire. So, information about the book and the Kickstarter, gonna be posted below along with the information about Team Trans and all of those things in the liner notes we do every week and also Sophie RV you got a standing invitation let me beam you up because I want to know more about this project oh and for all of you out there looking for some holiday gift ideas um, sign mail it's worth getting if you don't know how good these comics are you better ask somebody you better ask somebody. And there's that red alert noise. You know what that means. Gotta give a little love to the sponsors. But when we come back, I beam up a comedian who has the ins and outs on Trans Awareness Week, Being Trans, the funny side of it, and her view of the Dave Chappelle controversy. All that more to come. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb, and this week is Trans Awareness Week. Leading into... Trans Day of Remembrance, Saturday, November 20th. As we go to air this week, we are currently at, sing the phrase if you know it, the deadliest year for trans people in the United States. Now for the six straight years since these statistics were kept. But the violence that we're seeing among transgender people is not just the physical violence, there's also a lot of state-sponsored violence. As we saw from anti-trans legislation that has been passed or pending in 38 states in this country since the start of the COVID crisis in March 2020, 10 states have passed discriminatory laws against trans youth in schools, specifically banning them from interscholastic athletics. Two more states have directly targeted affirming health care. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. Also, as we head through this Trans Awareness Week, we're coming off a major controversy with the recent Dave Chappelle situation. Throughout that situation, a lot of words have been spoken. But some of the staunchest comments have been made by... Another comedian. Mixed Dahlia Bell is a trans woman, a comedian, and what she calls an accidental activist. She's been a longtime performer in the circuit of the West Coast, based out of Portland, Oregon. But right after the Dave Chappelle's special with Netflix, his most recent one dropped, she put out a review, in a sense. That was picked up by the Guardian U.S. edition on October 9th. The article is titled, Dear Dave Chappelle, Transgender Comedians Can Take a Joke, But Why Are Yours So Unfunny? That column and those views have been spread far and wide and have powered some of the protests and have been an inspiration for some of the protests against this special, up to and including... The Workers' Walkout Among Trans Workers at Netflix. We're proud and honored to have a person who is not only a very funny lady, but someone I consider a friend and inspiration right here in the transporter room. From Portland, Oregon, comedian Mix Dahlia Bell, we're going to beam you up. Energize. Hi. (laughs) Dahlia, good to see you. Yes, Honor it is good. Here. It is great to see you on this <laughs> Trans Awareness Week, and we're we'll just gonna get, get right into it. You, what's it been like for you these last this last month since putting out what you wrote in the Guardian?
4: Yeah, it's been a very interesting month, um, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about. Um, that piece being published right now, um, but we can go into that in a moment. Um, mostly, um, I've gotten a lot of support from our community, which has been fantastic. Uh, lots of people reaching out, um, so being very supportive and uplifting, and that has been a delight. Um, the response from the cis world, has been what you would expect from the cis.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. The, n- nothing quite like the cis. One thing, you term yourself an accidental activist. Yeah. Why accidental? Because uh, I, when I
4: start doing comedy, I set out to do uh, just a few... Basic things, and that was to sleep with as many men as possible and not pay for my own drinks. Those were my goals, and everyone then decided that my opinion mattered. <laughs> so I ended up doing activism work, and people seem to think I know stuff.
0: You spill that straight tea. <laughs> I see a lot of, there's a lot of LaWanda Page in you. Oh, that's, that's thank what I, you. That's what I see when I when I've when I've seen some of your comedy. When I've listened to some of your comedy, I see a lot of LaWanda Page. You spare nothing.
4: Yeah, it's it's all there.
0: <laughs> How much of your experience as a trans person in this society, as a trans woman, kind of lends yourself to that style where you're just no holds barred? You drop the gloves and say, "No, we're gonna get into this."
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's I. I don't even think it's just my identity because a lot of times people will um, paint it that way—that trans comics get by on our identity or this, that, the other. The truth is, that's what comedy is. Um, part of my full coming out process. Was that I was already doing comedy, and when I first started, I tried writing the you know basic bro comedy that we all grew up on in the nineties. Well, I grew up on in the nineties, um, but it didn't it didn't hit. It didn't click, um, and I wasn't appealing to my own people or. Bridging a gap with anyone else until I came to a point where I was just presenting my absolute most authentic self, which I feel is ultimately what stand up is.
0: When did you come into that awareness of what your most authentic self is?
4: Um, Mid 30s, um, I guess about five years ago now. Um, but I didn't actually switch to she, her, pronouns exclusively until the uh, pandemic, actually.
0: So, no, well, let's hit on that real quick. How much did the pandemic kind of affect where you felt your identity was going? And in turn, how did that affect your craft? How did that affect the comedy you were putting out?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I had to really dig deep i didn't have anything to hide behind anymore and i think for a lot of trans people that was a positive that may have come out of 2020 that uh, uncomfortable time by ourselves trying to figure out survival. And if this is my last year on the planet, what am I doing with it? Um, so definitely made me lean into myself that much more. Also the divisiveness within our society right now, I can't walk a middle line anymore. And I used to joke that I live my life on fences and that was Is going to be the title of my uh, autobiography Mm -hmm. for years. Uh, But 2020, I'm like, okay, no, I do actually have to pick a side on this one. And here's what we're going to do. And yeah, I I don't write for anyone but me and my community now. I don't, I'm not trying to assimilate. I'm not trying to get success in someone else's boardroom. I'm perfectly fine and content hanging out with drag queens and sex workers. We're more fun.
0: <laughs> like you said again, there there you go again. You just drop the <laughs> dropping the straight tee. Just dropping the straight tee. Talk about what your most recent show and talk about what the shows have been since the Guardian article came out? What's it been like since you've been in the middle of the discourse? Yeah, it's interesting to me because I'm in
4: Portland, and Portland's very flaky and performative. We all know this. We're famous for it. But it's interesting because I have more people booking me, but not necessarily more people showing up you know and it, that's interesting to me because it has taught me something i had long suspected about fame which is that it's an illusion it's absolutely fake there's no such thing <laughs> it's it's whatever you pretend however famous you declare yourself is how famous you actually are so i had a 30 minute headlining set at alberta abbey here in Portland this past Saturday night and a handful of people came out and they were supportive and that's all well and good. Um, But in that moment, I realized when I couldn't fill that room out on my name alone, that I'm famous enough right now that, I have been contacted by bigots from every country on the planet to tell me that I'm a man or that I was born with a penis, as if I wasn't aware, you yeah. know, but not famous enough to sell tickets. So I don't know <laughs> what that says about the actual social climate. Well, you know,
0: well, you know that's kind of like, you know, being an athlete, you know, we we're, we're too strong to be in sports not strong enough to be in the military. You know, that, yes. that, 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 dy- yeah, how does that dichotomy work? right there. Yeah. Now, how does that work? It's like all of a sudden we're, you know, cause like I, I get the same thing being, you know, being in sports and writing about sports that at that, you know, this whole idea about trans women are taking over sports yeah. and, and, but there what are no, sports? but there are none in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just wondering What's your take on all, the, on all this craziness in regards to sports and the anti-discrimination bill and these discrimination bills you're seeing out here, rather, and just all the yeah. talk about all of a sudden these super trans women are taking over sports. What's your take on that? It's, it's mind-blowing
4: to me. I, I've been trying to process this because there was a news article recently that blew my mind. It was this perfectly healthy young, uh, cisgender woman, uh, who was running a marathon. I'm sure you, you saw this. Uh, she was running a marathon halfway through the marathon. She realized she needed to poop. So she just shut her pants and finished the rest of the marathon. That is an unfair advantage. I can't do that. It, I mean, if my, If anything, if if my outfit gets a little crooked, I lost that race. But like she can just like release biological warfare at at all the runners behind her, and that's just (laughs) fine and dandy.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, there's somebody who did do actually there's a famous runner who did that. Paula Radcliffe, who is a marathon champion, did that during the during that during the London Marathon one year. Where she just, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So how (laughs) how how
4: do I have an advantage? (laughs) This idea that like trans women are just we inherently master all athletic abilities. It is very fascinating to me because if that were true, wouldn't we like already have our own sports leagues
0: or something? I have the article in front of me that the guardian article. And before we even dive into it, you said in some ways you wish this wasn't published. Yes. Why is that?
4: Uh, In retrospect and seeing the backlash and aftermath of it all, I I feel that we played into his hand. Um, the more that comes out about it, the more he responds to the criticism, the more I realize that this was the plan. This was the goal the entire time. He knew that saying the most outlandish, horrible things would cause an outcry. And he has used that outcry to market and promote a documentary no one would otherwise care about. I kind of feel like he owes me marketing fees at this point.
0: (laughs) Something you wrote in this. Something that's sung to me. I, too, may never write another joke again now that you've proven it unnecessary. See, Dave, we got jokes. We got jokes for days, and ours are funny because they're about us. That spoke to me because that was something that really bothered me about the special. In fact, all the specials were mentioned trans people. It wasn't the jokes, but it was the erasure of it. The fact Mm -hmm. that trans and his lexicon equated to white exactly
4: and i don't know about you but i grew up with that nonsense of you know same yeah gay is white somehow and it's historically flawed it's archeologically anthropologically every any measure it's false it's a blatant lie but he, he's choosing to perpetuate that, and it's extremely dangerous um, for us, particularly as black trans women who are the primary target of anti-trans violence. And it's easy to do if you just deny that we ever existed to begin with.
0: Is, is that the greatest fear that you hold, being oh. on the other end of violence? God now. I, I I wish
4: it were. And that's this is a difficult thing for me to explain a lot of times because I live out here on the West Coast. So I know a lot of younger trans people and especially younger trans films and trans women are very, very much afraid of violence and i get that but again i grew up in the 80s and 90s mostly in the midwest and east coast i'm familiar with violence i i know what violence feels like i know what violence looks like i know how to avoid violence which is why i live on the west coast (laughs) but uh Honestly, my greatest fear is that the current backlash against our community will be sufficient to once again push us into a collective closet.
0: What about that possibility gives you the most pause? Because It's out there. I I get it. But for the people who, especially the people who are saying trans lives matter, trans lives matter in this week, but they're really not understanding what it means to say those words. They're really not understanding what allyship means. What give them just the idea of when you're talking about, that's your greatest fear. What are we talking about?
4: Yeah. Uh, if you look throughout human history, you know, the fact that people are even now saying that, oh, this trans trend, uh, the this sudden <laughs> oh, <laughs> transgender Lord. thing that started circa 2010, 2013, and... We have what at least two trans women behind you right now mm-hmm. from nineteen sixty eight you have black trans women uh getting married, living their lives in the nineteenth century. you have the history of the uh indigenous Mexican moksha, the Phoenician galley. you had all these communities of transgender people and especially trans femme people we have this long ancient beautiful history in which we're magicians and priests and we have special insights into the nature of the universe and within a two three hundred year span of time colonialists and christian missionaries managed to eradicate that history uh at the beginning of the 20th century germany had their sex museum and were fully acknowledging and embracing the existence of gender fluidity until the 1920s
0: and then the nazis
4: raised and then, and then the nazi, nazi, nazi said no yeah. <laughs> that did never happened you know and it's a very real concern because it's happened before and we're seeing people pushing for that to happen again especially in this legislation that completely erases trans youth
0: one person we've had earlier that earlier this year on The podcast wrote a book about that. Brent Tannehill wrote an entire book on this and lays out exactly what you're talking about, pushing trans people back into the closet, erasing them from American life. When you hear again about the bills, though, is there any particular specific state, for example, that where you just looked and you just shook your head and said, you got to be kidding me?
4: I can't with Texas right now at all. I have not seen Texas do one remotely good thing in the last two years. Just every every last effort, it's just (laughs) anti-people when you get down to it.
0: In your mind, are we past this awareness point? I'm hearing a lot of that. I want to get your take on it. Are we past that awareness word? Is that becoming like the word allyship? It's becoming <laughs> a punchline in itself? Um, sadly, I don't think
4: so. Um, and sadly. Really, yes. I wish it were. I wish we were in a position where we could be like, oh, there's... Plenty of awareness. You can just Google any information you need about trans people. But the reality is that there is such an effort right now to silence, deplatform, erase, or otherwise ignore um, the trans community, and especially trans creatives and revolutionaries that we do still require that awareness like you and i you know people who look like us (laughs) are quite aware of us and our community and our heroes and our legends and superstars but the reality that i have to keep facing is that i am a famous trans comic or um, uh, my, one of my colleagues in LA, Robin Tran, uh, has been touring extensively this year, you know, big name was selected for, uh, just for laughs open for Pat and Oswald this, that, the other. And even she said, she's like, I wish I weren't this famous right now because all it means is I get misgendered more. So there's definitely still a very broad lack of awareness.
0: I'm with you on that because I'm feeling that statement. Because for me I feel very much the same way on this on this whole measure of awareness, on this whole measure of perform performativity that we're seeing. Yeah. And Getting back to Dave for a second, because if there's something that did bother me about his special, it was near the end. Yes. Because all of a sudden, the quote-in-quotes most famous trans person in America right now is, for good or bad, for good or ill, Daphne Dorman. Yes. That bothered me the way that got used. More cis people believed a cis person talking about trans mm-hmm. life then trans people talk about trans life in your discourse and what you see on the stages in the clubs. just talking to people, mm-hmm. what's your thoughts on that viewpoint, especially in the discourse you're seeing now about what went down with this special? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm trying not to get worked up. (laughs) Um, You can get worked up
4: here. The Mm -hmm. Daphne Dorman issue is, and I say it in my piece for The Guardian as well, and the more I learn, the angrier I become. Uh, It's the most offensive and repugnant act of transphobia I think I've ever witnessed and it is being actively weaponized against our community and when i say our community i mean your community my community and daphne dorman's community so i have i've had a few of daphne dorman's actual family of choice her friends contact me Thanking me for the work I do, and then I have these transphobic men tracking me down to tell me about how my community killed Daphne Dorman, who they ne- had never heard of. She she was a stand-up comic, an actress, uh, a, a model, an activist for years. Before Dave Chappelle put her name out there in this way.
0: Now that I didn't know. So Dave Chappelle's doing some Columbusing here. Yeah.
4: She already existed. She was a person and no one in their world cared. And now all of a sudden she's the symbol of intercommunity violence at the hands of these tyrannical transvestites or whatever. It's, <laughs> it's oh, so irritating. I
0: can no no I'm with you on this because I'm feel no I'm feeling this and right now I got I'm breathing this sigh really saying thank you. Mm-hmm. Somebody is actually saying this. Yeah.
4: And the And what's also frustrating is I've heard more and more um, Dave Chappelle defenders claiming, you know, why is the trans community complaining so much about his special, but not saying anything about what happened to Daphne Dorman? We have all referenced this Daphne Dorman story. Every trans activist that has bothered to write on this topic has zeroed in on this Daphne Dorman story. So to say that we aren't addressing it, it's rooted in the fact that, like you were saying, they are willing to listen to a cishet man's opinion of what transgender people care about, but aren't willing to listen to us. They're telling me that I owe Dave Chappelle for starting this conversation. But for them, I'm not part of that conversation. You know, so it's just very disingenuous and oh. insulting.
0: Well, according to some of those people, you know, you and I are really white men. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. you know, I
0: mean, really, white men. Yeah, yes, folks. There are two black trans women on <laughs> on this podcast right now, and it's Trans Awareness Week. Yeah, we're having a bit session.
4: Can we also cover that the Daphne Dorman story, as told by Dave Chappelle at the end of that special, is one hundred percent fictional?
0: Okay. See, now that I didn't know. Okay. Well, well, please elaborate on this. Yeah. So. Dave, one of Dave Chappelle's
4: neighbors actually hit me up on Twitter because they had done a thorough investigation of this whole Daphne Dorman narrative about her being bullied to death. Never happened. It literally flat out never happened.
0: Now, what was this again? Just to make sure I get this right. Yeah. So according to Dave Chappelle,
4: um. He mentioned that, you know, his trans friend, already offensive, <laughs> but his one trans friend um, didn't find his jokes to be offensive and therefore he can say whatever he wants. And h- according to his story, the trans community, we all dogpiled on her, on her Twitter account. And said all sorts of nasty things to her that led to her taking her own life. There was no such dog pile. There were possibly two instances in which someone had said, in reference to Daphne Dorman, just because she doesn't find you offensive doesn't mean you're not offensive. That, that's the dog piling. The reason she took her own life, according to her family of choice and her sisters, was PTSD. Severe PTSD starting from childhood. So, yeah. It's, it's a very grotesque way to manipulate and distort the death of someone you claim to have been a friend.
0: One thing I was getting, getting back to in sports, I see this with like, because notice who's, who caught, who's been, who caught the most hell Two black transgender girls in high school track and a black transgender college student who just happened to be the first NCAA champion, individual champion, in the organization's history.
4: Let, let's not also forget the multiple intersex um, black runners from Africa this past year.
0: But one thing, w- there's no proof that they are or aren't in most cases. Yeah. There's no, unless you are willing to go through a karyotype, in the case of the two Namibian runners, their own, their own Olympic committee said they weren't. Yeah so, so, but no th- but we're looking at that too. I mean, like, it's I, I, all in there together, what it
4: it's blatantly racist on top of everything else.
0: Team turf gut reaction to hearing that
4: C- Can we just note that throughout that special, right, Dave Chappelle claims that his issue is not with trans people but with white people, and He then proceeds to Kate for J.K. Rowling, Caitlyn Jenner, and mourn the death of Daphne Dorman. These three women have one very clear thing in common, and that is that they are all white. They are all white women. (laughs) Dave Chappelle loves him some white women. (laughs) Not so much black women. He does, he's not a big fan of us.
0: For you, where do you find in this week, even as we're looking at awareness and all these issues and the, the still the discriminatory bearing of the laws that we're seeing, and of course the litany that gets read year after year and it seems to get bigger, we're, we're at 46 right now. Where do you find trans joy?
4: Trans community. We are amazing. And I feel bad for transphobes because they're missing out on good music, good fashion, the best jokes, and amazing orgasms. Like we have skills in every major discipline, and <laughs> they're just depriving themselves of the magic that is our community <laughs> i i I love I love the trans community. I love trans people. I love being trans. It's fantastic. We have a broader and deeper understanding of ourselves and human sexuality in general, because we had to think about it harder. We're fantastic. I don't see how you can't celebrate us.
0: A trans person you haven't met yet, you would want to. Somebody who who is probably name in the community, probably like a name, leader, someone in the community you would want to meet.
4: Angelica Ross. Angelica Ross, instantly. Um, Ooh! And Marquise Wilson, but for two completely different reasons.
0: Okay, hit me.
4: Okay, so Angelica Ross is everything I've ever wanted to be as a black woman. She's powerful, she's intelligent, she's talented, she's got it all. She's the the whole package. And yes, also gorgeous glamorous flawless and i just want to feel marquise wilson's six-pack i just
0: want. <laughs> <sighs> okay really you really gonna come on my podcast and just be like and just be salivating Yes, and
4: objectifying
0: Marquise Wilson. Yes,
4: one hundred percent. Because I'm hoping he is watching this podcast right now and will like show up at my door tomorrow morning.
0: (laughs) Okay, you too. Okay, you too much now. A girl's got a dream. A girl's got to have dreams. (laughs) What What are your dreams for, for our community? I just want to see us speak for
4: ourselves, you know? And we're we're having... It's exhausting, if I'm being entirely honest, because we're having, like, a queer renaissance in a lot of ways, but it's still so gradual, you know? It's just this incremental recognition. And I don't know necessarily how far we've actually come in history. It very much feels like we're kind of spinning our wheels, but I really want to see, you know, trans comics of which there are so many brilliant trans comics. I want to see us on stage making the trans jokes. I want to hear trans people in my ears when I turn on the radio. You know, I, I want to watch a movie where there are a number of trans actors on screen and their transness is never mentioned or even a consideration. They're just an actor. And we all agree to that. I like that. And I don't yeah, and I don't mean assimilation either. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. I No, wait, okay, no, no. What's the
0: difference there?
4: The difference is that I don't need us to become the straights. That's that's not my mission. That's not my goal in life. I want us to be us. I want us to continue having our culture, having our imagination, our ingenuity, having our wits about us, and also fully enjoying the power that is inherent within our community.
0: What's the one thing you want people to know about during this week, especially the cisgender world, to understand about, for example, where you're coming from as someone who's a black trans woman in this time in history right now.
4: Where am I coming from? Oh, I got to pick one thing. It's we're not trying to change your kids. I, I don't. I have no desire to change anyone's kids. What I do want is for your kids to live their lives and be happy. That's what I want. I I, I have a kid. My kid is a cisgender, heterosexual
0: man now.
4: <laughs> we'll say boy so I don't feel so old.
0: But, <laughs> oh, good Lord. You ain't old a, yet. Get uh, to my age. <laughs> I will not. I've stopped aging right there. But... <laughs> Hey, hey, I've stopped aging too, but still.
4: (laughs) But yeah, I I have raised a cisgender heterosexual boy to maturity looking like this. So if I wasn't able to change my own child into a a trans woman or whatever, I assure you we're not trying to affect your kids either but we also need you to stop trying to turn your kids into something. They're not let that little trans girl be a trans girl. Let that little trans boy be a little trans boy.
0: I'm going to do a little Columbo here. One last thing. What is one thing that you want the trans community to know as we move forward into Another Trans Awareness Week into another Trans Day of Remembrance and beyond into what's really going to be what's an unknown and a scary time, mm-hmm. even more so than what we've had. We protect us.
4: Okay. I, I don't need the outside world sticking their nose into our business. Uh, I need. These apologetic trans girls, particularly to, and no, you know what? Trans men especially need to understand you can play the master's game all you want. You're not the master. So support your own community. Have our backs. Make sure that we are fed. Make sure that we are housed we have to protect ourselves. No ally is going to be reliable. At the end of the day, we have to do for us. And no matter how respectable or apologetic you are, you're not invited to their table, not as you know, an equal member by any means.
0: And that sounds like a battle cry I've had more than a few times. We're all we got. We're all we need.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: 100%. Well, mixed Dahlia Bell, looking forward to seeing you on some stages and who knows, perhaps getting signed to that special at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, want to know real quick, you have made, you are making a concert film.
4: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see.
0: Well, uh, well, either way, I'm looking forward to seeing what is next, and I want to thank you for being on the transporter room, not only as a voice people need to hear, but also as a dear friend.
4: Thank you so much thank, for having me. Thank Carly. you. Love and
0: you. With that, we're going to hey beam you back down to Portland, so you can keep making some more great material, keep us laughing, keep us in stitches. Going to energize, beam you back down. Thanks, Mixed Dahlia Bell, for being on the Transporter Room this week. And thanks to all of you for joining us as well. And just a reminder, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we do, by all means, leave a message on our Twitter page. Leave a message at our Facebook page. And, of course, stop on through to our Instagram site, transporter room 10 forward because everything I do here at the transporter room I do for you the people who support us that's the transporter room for this week I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb live long and prosper steady as she goes I'll catch you next week